I turn your attention this morning to the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, and we begin reading in verse 31. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. I want to speak this morning on this subject, the five principles of faith, the five principles of faith. And you may be seated. Thank you so much for standing for the reading of the word of God. It's interesting when you read uh, the New Testament church, of course, we know the Holy Ghost uh, was poured out in the book of Acts chapter 2. And uh, when it was poured out, it was poured out in a very demonstrative way. Uh, in fact, uh, the Bible says that cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon all of them. There was that 120 that gathered in the upper room. And uh, it was a demonstration of the Spirit of God being poured out now for all of mankind. And so the New Testament church started literally in the fire. And uh, this is still... Uh, prevalent, we believe, in the, the mind of God and the will of God, that His Spirit and the uh, demonstration of His Spirit would be prevalent uh, in our midst. The miraculous uh, outpouring of the Holy Ghost that started in the book of Acts upon all of uh, humankind has not stopped with just the pages of Scripture. It's still being poured out all over the world, as we just mentioned. And we believe that millions, millions more, even billions are going to be saved before the Lord comes back again for his church. But it did not just start with people being filled with the Holy Ghost. It was also the physical uh, healings that were on uh, full display really before the entire city uh, and population of Jerusalem. And this was something that uh, began to be uh, noised abroad, as it were. Uh, it, it started there in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 and then... In Acts chapter 3, we read about Peter and John going to the temple and, and uh, praying for uh, the lame man. And it really, uh, it, he was healed. He goes running through the temple. It stirred up uh, a lot of things, uh, even a lot of opposition. Uh, this, this miraculous outpouring of the Spirit of God was on full display uh, for not just Jerusalem to see, but also the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was uh, made up of uh, different ruling classes of religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees. And the Sanhedrin was sort of like the, uh, the Supreme Court of the day, but it was very connected uh, to the Jewish temple and to the Jewish faith. And these religious leaders were not enamored uh, with the power of God demonstrated through common men. They had kind of, you know, held the right or so in their minds. They thought they were the ones that were the gatekeepers, so to speak, for uh, God uh, connecting with uh, humans and so they uh, were the doctors of the law and they were uh, the ones that explained and taught in the synagogue and the, and the law and the Hebrews and all this this was part of uh, what they saw as their position and so when the Lord began to pour out his spirit in such a way they thought they had sort of uh, dealt with this quote-unquote problem when they crucified Jesus but then they didn't realize it at the time but through the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus and that being noised abroad and then the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, it, they, they couldn't contain it. And they were trying to, they were struggling with how to, how to contain it. Uh, the lame man uh, who sat by the gate being healed disrupted the traditions and the routines of the temple. His exuberance was not a welcome sight in the eyes of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then he, along with Peter and John, who prayed for him, were arrested, uh, presumably for disturbing the peace. And the hearing that followed the arrest uh, was interesting to say the least. And you can follow it through uh, Acts chapter 4 where we took our text. Uh, the, these were uncharted waters for the Sanhedrin. Arresting someone for the underlying crime of a lame man being healed was a public relations disaster to say the least. The elders and rulers, they wrestled with the facts of the case and the, and the potential nightmare of losing 
uh, political and religious control with further miracles. And so in the meantime, Peter and John, who were not making it any easier for the Sanhedrin, they continued to state that they had a mandate. And the mandate that they had was that they were to teach and preach the things which they had seen and heard. And the council decided to give them a stern warning and to let them go, as we read in Acts chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. Peter and John quickly then returned to the other disciples and the followers of Christ, and they reported what had happened to them on their way to the temple to pray. They not only tell about the lame man being healed, but they talk about the things that happened subsequent to that and their encounter with the Sanhedrin, when literally they were arrested for praying for a man and him being healed. They gave the details of the healing of the man uh, being the lame man that sat at the gate and, and what followed. No doubt they also recounted the threats and the warnings from the Sanhedrin. The reaction that this young church had to these issues at hand was astonishing. Instead of being afraid and cautious, they were filled with boldness and courage. The room where they were gathered became a church as this group of believers began to worship God. They implored heaven to give them greater boldness. The faith of Peter and John was contagious and it quickly ignited a firestorm of faith for all of the believers. But not just how the people responded that was interesting, how heaven responded was also quite interesting. And I believe it is a lesson for all of us. After the people had prayed, the Bible says the place where they were assembled began to shake with the power of God. The people were filled with the Holy Ghost and they were given what they had requested and that is greater boldness. A spiritual unity came upon the small group as they had such a move of God. An offering was taken and the people sacrificed their own personal possessions for the good of the group. When we see this, we understand a principle about faith, and that is that faith is contagious. There's something about faith that even if you're struggling in your faith or there is a crisis of faith that perhaps you have embarked upon, you've done the right thing this morning by gathering together with people of like precious faith because when you come together, there is a contagious nature to faith. And you may have had a bad week, but you get with somebody, hallelujah, that believes God is able, God can do anything. And that faith will not just stay confined to that individual, but it will spread over to you. And you can leave here strengthened in the Holy Ghost. And that is our prayer for every single person that takes the time to come out to the house of God this morning. Is that when you would leave here today, you would be strengthened in your faith. And you would know that God is on your side and anything is possible. I said anything is possible. And we try to stay as closely aligned as we can uh, to this, this church in the book of Acts because this is the template. Uh, this is the model. People feel, being filled with the Holy Ghost did not stop with just the pages of Scripture. People are still being filled with the Holy Ghost all over the world. As we just told you about in Bangladesh last night, there is still an outpouring of God's Spirit. And the Bible says where the Lord told the followers, He said, greater works than these shall ye do. In one day, 3,000 people are being added to the church, 5,000 people being filled with the Holy Ghost in a country way over in Asia. But this is not just isolated to that one particular place. All over the world, even at this particular moment, people are being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is the latter rain. God is getting ready to come back for His church and His Spirit is being poured out all over the world. If they were filled with the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts, you can be filled with the Holy Ghost today. If they were being healed of sickness, of disease, of lameness and blindness, you can be healed today of cancer. There is nothing that my God cannot do. And I believe, I believe with all of my heart that we have had prophecies after prophecies that have come to us in the last few months about this conference that's coming up. But just as this place was shaken, I believe that God can give us a shakening in this house, not only today, but this week. I believe God can shake our homes. I believe God can stir up the gift that is within us and anything is possible. I believe that God's wanting to do something special with the church of the living God. 
Hallelujah. God is preparing for a great work. And I believe he's looking. The Bible said when he comes back, he's looking for faith. Do we have faith? That's why I want to talk to you a little bit about it today because faith is a trigger mechanism for the Spirit of God being poured out. There's been times in the past when we couldn't really relate to what this New Testament church went through because we were here in America, which was Christian friendly. And it was hard for us to relate to people being arrested for preaching the gospel. But I believe in the days ahead of us, it's going to become more and more hostile toward Christianity, even right here in America. And you and I have got to understand that it doesn't matter what comes against the church. God is going to have the final say. I want to proclaim that to somebody today. God is going to have the final say. You say, oh, pastor, you don't know the adversity I'm facing in my home and on my job and in my school. I want to declare to you today, under the power of the Holy Ghost, God's going to have the final say. Hallelujah. When it's all said and done, hallelujah, God is going to show his mighty hand of power. And if a man or a woman will commit themselves to the principles of God's word and say, I believe that God is able to do that, that is exceedingly abundantly above all that we can even imagine. I've come to tell you, there is nothing that is beyond the hand and the power of God to stir us. Very quickly this morning, I want to give you five principles from Acts chapter 4 that will help us to be able to get a synergy of faith that I believe will then not just be confined to this building, but will spread out into our community, into the streets, into the homes, into the neighborhoods, around about. I believe God's preparing us for that. The first principle that I want to give to you today that I believe is an important element in understanding how faith works in our lives is the principle of information. Everybody say information. Acts chapter 4 and verse 23 says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. They didn't go back to their friends and family members and say, We better not tell them about the Sanhedrin and the arrest that went on. We can tell them about the lame man, but we better not tell them about, you know, all the threats and, and we don't want to scare anybody, so we better not tell them. No, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible said, And they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. They didn't spare any details. Acts chapter 4 and verse 29 says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 16 says, Every prudent man dealeth with knowledge, but a fool layeth open his folly. Ladies and gentlemen, faith is not ignoring the facts. Faith is not based on idealism. Or some sort of naivety. It is based on knowing. And moving forward because. The belief is stronger than the fear. Sometimes they want to paint us as Christians. As being people that just sort of run around. And tiptoe through the tulips. And and we run around in in lily fields. and, And we don't have a firm grasp on reality. That's not what faith is. Faith is based on information. I know there's challenges. I know there's struggles. But God is greater. Come on, it's based on information. You're aware of what the doctor's report is. You're aware of what you've just heard as a relation to maybe a family member that's away from God right now. And it hurts our hearts when we hear those stories. But yet there's something deep inside of us that says, I've got the information. I know there's threatenings. I know there's adversity. I know there's hostilities. But God is going to make a way in spite of the information. If we were to look at great acts of faith in the Bible like David and Goliath or Daniel in the lion's den or even Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, none of these miracles were based in an ignoring of the facts. They were not without knowledge. They were in spite of knowledge. No one had better clarity than Jesus. He had more knowledge, more wisdom than anyone. And yet, he is working in the realm of the miraculous and the supernatural. Don't be afraid to have the information in front of you. In fact, sometimes the information may be troubling at first, but it may be what God is going to use to bring about the miraculous. As I was looking through these principles in Scripture today, I started looking into my own life, and I found some examples that 
are quite interesting. I remember whenever I was just out of Bible school, I was 20 years old, and I had graduated from um, Apostolic Bible Institute up in St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota area. And uh, my friend who was also my youth leader growing up, my Bible quiz coach, Chris Rossetti, he and I went evangelizing together. We had no money, no credit cards, but we had a gold Cutlass Supreme and we hung up the clothes in the back seat and everything we owned was in that car. And uh, we went over into the Northeast and started preaching in uh, Yonkers, New York and went down to Pennsylvania area. And uh, while we were down in Pennsylvania area, uh, we connected with a, a church there. It was on the outskirts of Philadelphia. And the pastor was the uh, superintendent of the district of Pennsylvania. And uh, we were there and we preached for him for a week. And then he felt like maybe it would be good for us to preach around some of the other churches in Pennsylvania. So he set us up to another church. And we, had never, we didn't know the pastor. We didn't know any of the people. We didn't know the church. We didn't know the city. We didn't even know how to get there. But uh, this was, you know, prior to GPS and all that. But we found our way there, and the pastor had said, we want you to come. We'll have some meetings. We'll have services like Wednesday through Sunday. And uh, why don't you meet uh, at our house, you know, like 5 o'clock before the first night service. We'll have dinner, and uh, we'll get to know you, get to know us, and and we'll get you familiar with where you're staying and so forth. So uh, my friend Chris and I, we went uh, to this little town in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, we arrived. The pastor and his wife lived at a little efficiency, like an apartment behind the church it actually connected to the church but it was like back behind the stage and and so we went there and we started to eat uh, a supper with the pastor and his wife and the pastor was very kind and welcoming us but i, I noticed that the pastor's wife just started glaring at us the whole time uh, while we were eating and i thought I wonder what's wrong with this lady and uh we were eating and she just kept like looking at us and looking at us and looking at us and uh after about 30 minutes i started thinking maybe i had like food on my face or something i was trying to clean up and I was trying to think maybe something's wrong with us but finally she let us know what the problem is she just spoke right out and told us I'm against this revival and I was like oh my we are in hostile territory here 50% of the leadership team is against us even being here she said I told my husband I'm against this revival she said we don't have the time she said I'm working a full-time job and she said we don't need a revival and we don't need you guys being here, and this is going to be a hardship on our church. And furthermore, I guarantee you before this revival is over that my husband's going to take money out of the mother's memorial account to pay you to. <laughs> That's how you want to be welcome to a new church right there, boy. And uh, so I said, oh, man, I am so sorry. You know, we, we just were told, you know, to come and be here so later i i uh, met with the pastor i said you know is, would it be better for us to leave i don't i don't want to be you know a hardship i mean we don't we're not here for we're just we're told to come and we you know want to try to help you but we don't want to be a hindrance oh no he said she's she's always like that don't worry about her i'm thinking maybe we should have a marriage seminar rather than a revival i, I didn't know what to do and so he, he directed us to the room where we would be staying and it was the room, it was like a prayer room or a science school room or something, but it only had one door. The door opened onto the platform and it had no lock on it and it had no bathroom in the room. So uh, it was really difficult to get ready for church because kids in the church would open the door and say, the preacher's in there! And they'd all point and they'd run off. And we're like hopping, hiding behind the door trying to get ready. It was, it was quite an ordeal. But somewhere uh, toward the middle part of the service, it was, it was just a small church. And it was really interesting things that were happening in that first service. I, I could spend all day telling you about it. You wouldn't believe it, but it's the truth. But it was a crazy environment. And I'm sitting there going, oh God, how are we going to have revival? How are we going to... This, this is... Uh, nobody's even going to believe. And so uh, I realized I, I was speaking the first night and, and then my friend Chris would speak the second night and we would go back and forth. And I realized I had left some of my, uh, my notes and my briefcase down in the, in, the, in the pastor and his wife's house apartment while we had eaten dinner. And so... I said to the pastor, I left, I need to go back. Oh yeah, he said, just go around the back here and you go down there. And so I went down there to get my notes. And when I did, I accidentally stumbled into the living room going to get my notes and where the pastor's wife was. And she was set up on a big like lazy boy chair. And she had a big thing of popcorn over there on the side. And she had her feet up on a hassock. And she was reading a novel. And she said, I'm not going to not one service this whole week. And I said, oh ma'am, I'm, I'm not, I just, I left my notes. I'm looking for my briefcase. I got to get this. And she said, I'm against it. She went through all of that again. And I said, that's no problem. I'm just trying to get, and I was, and I was trying to get, navigate across the living room, get to where the dining room was, get my, get my notes, go back out there. 
And so I got back out there to the, to the auditorium where the, uh, the service was going on. I said to my friend Chris, I said, the pastor's wife's down there eating popcorn. She's not coming to any church services the whole week. He said, Does she got a lot of popcorn? Because I may go get some myself, you know. <laughs> my friend Chris was very humorous. And uh, so <laughs> it, got, it got worse as the service went on. And uh, I was like, Lord, how are you going to move in this situation? And so after service, the, uh, the pastor said, you know, uh, we'll just give you whatever comes in the offer. And he gave us $6. And uh, we, were, we were to drive down to Florida the very next week because my sister and John were going to be married and uh, the very next week here in Palm Bay. And so uh, we quickly calculated that we have $6, we have four services, $24, not enough to get to Florida. Again, no credit cards. Whatever we got in this revival, we were going to need to be able to get home. And so uh, I said to my friend, Chris, I said, why don't we pray that more will come in t- tomorrow night? And so he said, okay, let's do it. And so we found ourselves, instead of praying for revival, we were praying for the offering. <laughs> and I was like, Lord, you just let the offering be multiplied. As you multiplied the lad's lunch and his fishes and loaves, let there be more. And so sure enough, that night, uh, whenever uh, he gave us the offer, we had $7. We had prayed that it would grow, and it did, but it was not growing as much as we hoped that it would. So now we had 6 and 7 Now we had $13 and had two services left. So I said, well, maybe we should change our prayer. He said, well, what? my friend said, what are we going to pray about? I said, let's pray that what that lady said will come to pass. That the pastor will pay us from the mother's memorial account. She had given us some information. And the information is there's money in the mother's memorial account. So I'm telling you that next day, Chris and I, we prayed. We said, Lord, you know how much is in the mother's memorial account. You know the mother's memorial account needs to help these two preachers. Oh God, we need your help. And so that next night we got uh, seven or eight bucks in the offering. And we, gave, and we had them piled up on the little dresser in our room, uh, all of our little $1 bills. We piled them up. We count them, recount them. We'd get up in the morning and recount them, see if God maybe multiplied them during the night. And uh, so we got to the final night and so forth, and we had about $26, $27. And when we got to the very last night, the pastor gave us a check. And boy, I said, oh, thank you. And I tried to act like, you know, we weren't interested in it. But we put it away. And as soon as I could go over and find some place where nobody was looking... I pulled open that check and it said, Mother's Memorial Account, $100. Woo! We're going to Florida! When I found my buddy Chris, I said, Chris, just what the pastor's wife said was true. He paid us 100 bucks out of the Mother's Memorial Account. Chris said, we're cashing that before we leave town. Though we cast it, we left town, boy, I don't think we've ever been back. <clears throat> we got to Florida as soon as we could. But there's an example of having faith that's based on information. As crazy of an environment we were in, because we had information, we were able to pray that information. You know, sometimes you may not understand why God is working a certain way, and all you can see is the obstacles. <laughs> But oh, hallelujah, you just go ahead and pray what information you have. God, I know you're able. When I read your word, you said you can make a way where there is no way. So I'm facing an impossible situation. But I'm going to go ahead and pray that you will do the impossible. Hallelujah. And you can begin to pray the promises of God. And it can be based on information. You don't have to run away from information. You can pray and understand that information is an ingredient in faith. The second principle is the principle of evaluation. Everybody say evaluation. Acts chapter 4 and verse 29 says, and now Lord, behold their threatenings. Okay? They told the group, they told the believers, the followers and disciples of Christ, what had been said against them. Alright? That's the information. But now watch how this transitions. Verse 29, and now Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. Now there comes an evaluation. 
I know there's threats. I know there's challenges. I know there's adversity. But God is greater. God is bigger. God can do anything. There is nothing unscriptural or unspiritual about weighing the pros and the cons. In fact, Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 31 says, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. Say, This man begin to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Do you know when David went to face Goliath, he asked three times what the reward was before he fought Goliath? We just pictured David going out there and this big, tall, ugly giant coming out there and challenging him. But guess what? They told David, hey, here's what happens to the man that fights Goliath. If he's able to survive, he gets to marry the king's daughter, he gets a bag of gold, and his daddy don't have to pay taxes anymore. And David, you say, oh, David was much too spiritual to do this. You read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 17. David says, can you tell me that again? You get to marry the king's daughter, you get a bag of gold, and you don't have to pay taxes anymore. And now he's weighing. Now the principle of evaluation is coming in. We got this giant, this Goliath. This is a dangerous mission. But God's going to take care of him because he has defined the armies of the living God. But God's going to reward me for stepping out in faith. And I'm going to get the king's daughter. And the more he looked at the king's daughter, the smaller the giant got. <laughs> oh, my friend, sometimes you've got to keep your eye on the reward. I know there's loud voices. I know there's adversity. I know there's giants in the land. I know there's challenges. I know there's threatenings. But guess what? God has a reward for those, hallelujah, that commit themselves to Him. It's going to be worth it all. Every trial. I said it's going to be worth it all. You guys got to commit yourself to it. One day you got to know that there's coming streets of gold. Yes, I've got challenges. Maybe you're even having a crisis of your faith. But great is thy reward. Hallelujah. And when I evaluate the good and the bad, when I evaluate the challenges and the reward, it's an easy choice to say, I choose to serve God. Oh, yeah, there's sacrifices. Yes, it's a commitment. Yes, there's things you abstain from. Yes, you don't give in to every impulse of your flesh. But it's going to be worth it. Hallelujah. It's going to be worth it for you to be able to live this life in peace and to lay your head down on a pillow and to know that everything is all right because I'm living by the principles of God's Word. Count the cost because everything you believe in has a price tag. That's the principle of evaluation. Now let me quickly move to the principle of preparation. Everybody say preparation. preparation. Acts chapter 4 verse 23 and being let go they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Verse 24 and when they heard that they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said Lord thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Acts chapter 5 and verse 41 says, And they departed from the presence of the council, this referring to the disciples, rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. There's three ways that you lift up the Lord. You know, the Bible says if you lift Him up, He will draw all men nigh. You lift Him up with faith, you lift Him up with joy, and you lift Him up with worship. Because I'm going to tell you why faith glorifies God. This is why God responds to faith. Because when you say, I believe, that is a form of worship. You are acknowledging that God is greater. Even though all of your senses, all of your, your impulses from your flesh and this natural man is shouting trouble, trouble, trouble. There's still something within you that's rising up and saying, but God is able. But God is able. But God is able. Whose report, Isaiah said, are you going to believe? We choose to believe the report of the Lord. We're not ignorant of the report of man, but we choose to believe the report of God. And so I'm going to believe in spite of my circumstances. And then I'm going to go to the next level and I'm going to go ahead and get joy now. 
Oh yeah, I'm going to go ahead and prepare by having joy in my life now. I'm going to go ahead and prepare by saying, Lord, I'm not going to wait till there's a physical manifestation of the victory. I'm going to go ahead and shout now. I'm going to go ahead and worship now. I'm going to go ahead and glorify God now with joy. Oh, hallelujah. That's what they did. They said, we are joyful that we are counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. We found joy in the midst of the trial. Every time we lift up the Lord, it increases not just our faith, but others in their faith toward Jesus. Because when you lift him up, he draws all men nigh. So if I lift up the Lord, if you lift up the Lord in joy and in faith and in worship, it becomes a part of what God is doing to spread this faith among our fellow man. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible said that we are epistles that are read by all men. Nobody wants to be joined in something where you look so sad and discouraged you can hardly get through the day. But when a man or a woman says, I will bless the Lord at all times. People know what you're going through, but you're still in the house of God. And your hands are lifted up and your spirit is soaring. They say, how did they do it? How did they get through it? It had to be just their faith in God. Faith is preparing you. You prepare for the harvest. You prepare for the healing. You prepare for the victory. You've got to begin to prepare. You can't wait and say, when I get a miracle, then I'm going to shout. No, I'm going to go ahead and do it now. I'm going to prepare. I'm going to get ready for my victory. That's why I say today, don't wait until the middle of the wind's conference. Go ahead and say, I'm making up my mind right now today. I'm getting what I've been praying for this week. I'm not going to wait. Not one more day. Not one more week. I'm not waiting for a more convenient season. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Go ahead and believe. Go ahead and receive. Look, I'm going to tell you something right now. Hell is preparing. The Bible says hell is enlarging itself. Hell is in a building program. I remember Brother Joel Urshan telling me a story that he read in the Cincinnati newspaper where he pastors. He said there was a family that had a, a big old snake in their house. I don't remember if it was a, it was a, a python, a boa constrictor, or some sort of cobra thing. I don't know what kind it was. But it was some sort of big uh, snake. And it was a pet. I don't understand people that have snakes as pets. Something's wrong with those kind of people. But anyways, this family had, and they had small children. And the snake just ran around through the house. And in the article, Brother Joel Urshan was telling me, they, they said the pet even would sleep in the bed with the kids. With the snake. I'm going to tell you something. There's a reason that the serpent was the demonstration of the devil from the very beginning of the Garden of Eden. And you can, you can bring some little sin into your home that you think is going to be your little pet sin. But I'm going to tell you what, that thing has a nature to try to destroy you. And you can pet it and feed it chocolate chip cookies and, and sing lullabies to it, but eventually that thing's going to eat you. That's why you've got to put it on the altar and say, I'm not going to let that thought get up in my mind. I'm not going to let it lodge in my spirit. I'm going to put it down at the altar and say, this belongs to you, Lord. Brother Urshan told me that this snake, it started, it started very, it was, became very alarming to the family because the thing started uh, getting big and bloating itself up. And uh, they thought maybe it was sick. It had eaten something. Maybe it was upsetting him. And he said the thing was starting to bloat up and crawl up in bed. It'd line up long ways up there next to their daughter in the bed. And they said, something's wrong with the snake. And so they called the Cincinnati Zoo or the wildlife people or whatever. And they started explaining what was happening. And they said, secure the snake right now. We're on our way over. And they sent a whole van of people over there. And they got in there and they said, we need the snake. We're taking the snake. And they said, no, no, we just want you to make the snake better. It's a, it's a family pet. And they said, no. We're taking the snake because it's a public safety issue. They said, that snake is preparing to devour your daughter. It is enlarging itself because it's preparing for the meal. It has lined up itself next to her in the bed because it's measuring how long she is. And it's preparing to devour you. Oh, my friend, you've got to understand your adversary is wanting to devour you. 
But it's not just an empty wish. He's preparing. He's already laying traps for you. He knows the weaknesses of your flesh. And he's preparing to devour you. That's why you've got to prepare in your spirit for a miracle. You can't just let hell prepare. You've got to go ahead and say, I'm going to prepare for the miraculous. We can't just let hell prepare and you and I be haphazard in our Christianity. you got to get up every day and say, God, I'm making way for you to be victorious in my life today. I'm going to give you something to work with so you can bless my family and bless my home and bless my mind. It is very possible to falsely believe that faith is emotion trumping logic. That somehow faith is a knee-jerk reaction to a feeling that's not based in careful planning. But I rise today to declare to this great congregation it's really the opposite. The Bible says that Noah prepared because he believed he prepared. You read it in Hebrews chapter 11. That Noah believed and he prepared an ark to the saving of his family. He believed or he would not have done that. But he had a lot of planning to do. Noah believed the word of God. And it caused him to prepare an ark. If you believe the word of God, you won't just live this life by happenstance. You'll prepare because one day you're going to meet your maker. One day you're going to breathe your last breath. And you're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account of your actions. So you're going to prepare for it right now. I'm not going to just leave it up to happenstance. I'm going to say I'm going to do everything I can to exalt the name of Jesus. Because one day, oh, the Bible said you got to work while it's day. Because the night cometh when no man can work. There's coming a time when I'm not going to be able to do anymore. But oh, hallelujah. I can have the joy of the Lord knowing that I have lived my life for that day. Hallelujah. And when that day gets here. You are ready. You are prepared. You say, how do I prepare? You say, God, here I am. I bring myself before you today. All of my mistakes and all of my scars and everything that's done in my life that's not been pleasing to you. I put it under the blood and I submit myself unto you. God will save you. He will not turn you away. Sin and lust works with the instant gratification, appetite of our flesh. But faith is the opposite. Faith is patient. Faith is persistent. Faith sees the big picture. True faith is based in careful planning that reinforces the decision to believe and act upon it. That's the principle of preparation. But I quickly move to the fourth principle. It's the principle of declaration. Everybody say declaration. Acts chapter 4 and verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake. There it is again. They spake the word of God with boldness. The Lord told his disciples they needed to have faith that would prompt them to speak to the mountain. The promise is then given that the mountain or the obstacle would be removed and nothing would be impossible unto them. Matthew 17. Acts chapter 5 and verse 19 says, But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Remember this this morning, ladies and gentlemen. For faith to be fruitful, it must be spoken. I said, for faith to be fruitful, it must be spoken. You've got to declare the promises of God. It's not enough to just believe it in your mind and hope for the best. You've got to declare the promises of God. I got, I got tickled with my wife this week. We were with some uh, friends and they're very uh, successful and pastor a large church, several thousand people. And uh, the pastor, he's very humble. He's He's always, you know, talking about how he's not a very good preacher and he's not very good at organizing staff. And I mean, he's an author. He sold hundreds of thousands of books. His wife's got numerous Grammys and Dove Awards with music and so forth. They're very successful people. But when you talk with him, he's always, he was like, we were sitting in their study and uh, he was just saying, you know, I never was a very good speaker and, and I never was very good at this and I never was very good at that. And my wife, being the great encourager she was, 
she says to this very successful man that's pastored over 50 years, you shouldn't say those things about yourself. I'm thinking, oh my God, my wife is trying to encourage this guy and he's very successful. She said, you shouldn't say those things. You're a good speaker. You shouldn't say those things. You're a good organizer. He has 90 people on full-time payroll. And so afterwards I was teasing her. I said, honey, I really appreciate you encouraging that pastor, but I'm sure he knows he's successful. And she said, well, if he knows it, he ought to declare it. Because if he says that long enough, he'll start to believe it. I said, you're right, honey. That's exactly right. It don't matter what the evidence is out there. If you say something long enough, you'll start to believe it. Everybody else may look at you and say, well, he's got a lot to be happy about. He's got a lot. He's got a family. He's got this. He's got a job. He's got their cars. A house. And you want me to tell you something right now. We all know our own weaknesses. But you can't let the devil put anything in your mouth that is going to come against the promises of God. You've got to speak it out. I'm an overcomer. I declare the promises of God's word. Hey, do you got a couple of minutes? Let me finish this. In Acts, you think Paul, Paul is a successful guy, right? He's got a doctor of law. He's, he's written most of the New Testament. He's a guy that's a missionary journeys. He's winning people. He's going all over, apostle to the Gentiles. But in Acts chapter 7, he's dealing with the frailty of the flesh. He's dealing with the challenges of his own weaknesses. And he's very transparent. He says, you know, for the good that I would, I do not. For the evil which I would not, that I do. I mean, it's almost like a riddle when you read through Romans chapter 7. And this Romans, this great book that he writes, he writes it, he's a lawyer. He writes it and lays this out in such a, uh, an incredible book. But he says, I've got this war. I'm trying to do good. I've got good intentions. Uh, but i got this war that's going on in my members. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He's talking all about the struggles of his own flesh. I believe the thorn in his flesh was his past because he had to always deal with the screams of Stephen. He held the coat when they stoned Stephen, that young creature, because before he got saved, he thought he was helping God out by exterminating the Christians and killing the preachers. And God had to knock him off his high horse on the road to Damascus. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. But Paul had to deal with that. He said, I prayed that God would remove the thorn of my flesh. I prayed three times, but God said, my grace is sufficient. And so Paul had to deal with all of that. And Paul, every time he'd have a great revival, the devil would remind you, I know who you are. I saw what you did this week. You down there in the church now. You down there worshiping God. You down there acting like a hypocrite. And the devil tried to shut you down with condemnation. Paul comes out in chapter 7 and he says in chapter 8, first verse, that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Woo! He starts to declare now. I know I'm weak in my flesh but I want to declare the Spirit and the presence of God. Oh, for the law of the Spirit and life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. He starts to work his way through Romans chapter 8 and it's like an orchestra piece. It is building to a crescendo and by the time he gets over there to the end of chapter 8, he says, as it is written for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us for I am persuaded. Oh, I feel like I'm preaching to somebody today. You got to get persuaded sometime. You got to get persuaded. I know that I know that I know. I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God. He said, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I've read this many times as a kid. I've memorized the book of Romans and Bible quizzing. But I tell you something I saw recently I've never seen before. He says this when he talks about periods of time. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, principalities, powers, nor things present, nor things to come can separate me from the love of God. He says things present 
nor things to come. He never mentions the past. He never mentions the past. He says, hype, death, any other creature. He says, death, life, powers, principalities, things present nor things to come. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. But he never says his past. You know why I believe he never said his past? Because he knew if he would allow it, that his past could separate him from the love of God. Because you're the one that decides whether or not your past is going to separate you from the love of God. You gotta make up in your mind. I'm not gonna let my past destroy me. God's got my future and God's got my present and nothing can take me out of the hand of God unless I remove myself. Somebody's gotta declare, God is my helper. God is my strength. God's gonna give me victory. Jesus. In the name of Jesus. They tried to stop him from speaking. They command, you can stand, I'm all done. They commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And to let him go. Verse 41 of Acts 5 says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing. And daily in the temple, everybody say daily. And in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Oh, my friend, I don't know what is going to happen in the days ahead of our culture. But I say to this great body of believers today, don't stop teaching and preaching Jesus. He is still the answer to the ills of society. He still is the one that brings salvation in his wings. Spoken faith not only reinforces your own resolve, it ignites a fire in others. Don't speak negative thoughts and then wonder why you're filled with fear. Speak the promises of God. They will build courage and faith. And finally, the fifth principle, the one that usually gets all of us, is the principle of initiation. This is probably the biggest gap in the part of the faith formula that's given to us from Scripture. We may plan and we pray and we even declare. But then this is where most of us drop the ball. We don't initiate. We want God to open the door and we'll just walk through it. But the Bible says you got to knock. You got to seek. You got to ask. You have to initiate. Acts 4, 34 says, Neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and brought the prices of the things that were. The scripture doesn't say anybody asked them to do that. They initiated. It was faith that caused them to do that. First time the children of Israel crossed a major body of water, it opened up to them while they remained on dry or safe ground, the Red Sea. But before they could cross into the promised land, they had to step into the Jordan River for the waters to part. Maybe when you got saved, you were able to do it on dry ground. But now that you've gone through the wilderness, God's got a promise for you. But you've got to step in the water. I said you've got to step into the water. You've got to step into your miracle. You've got to initiate. Through faith, you plan, you're prepared, you've declared, but you've got to initiate. And ladies and gentlemen, fear lives in the land of passivity. But fear struggles to stay alive with people of action. Believe it. Speak it. And receive it. Believe it. Speak it. And receive it. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They became witnesses that declared the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, my friend, you can't come out of an earthquake and be a non-believer in earthquakes. You can't go through a hurricane like our friends in Fort Myers and Fort Charlotte and not believe in hurricanes. You may debate who Jesus is in the cold, empty halls of humanity and humanism. But only if you've never been healed. Only if you've never been touched. Only if you've never been delivered. And you debate the existence of God. Because once you have felt His love. Once you have felt 
the weight of sin being removed from your life. Once you have felt the joy return, not only are you changed, but that revelation changes others. And from that point forward, the jury has been tampered with and you're unable to offer an unbiased view. You're now on the receiving end of an undeniable experience. Is there anybody in this building that wants an undeniable experience? Say, I believe God's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. The word of God's been preached. You've received it. Maybe you even declared it while the preaching went on. But now I ask you to initiate. How do I initiate? By stepping out of where you're standing. Come down to this altar. Say, Lord, I'm coming into my promise right now in the name of Jesus. I felt it in the early service and I'll say it again today. I feel there are three specific prayers that we can pray for. I felt it in the Holy Ghost this morning. And I feel led to do this again in this service. I want everybody that can to just initiate. Come on, just step into the Jordan River today. I'm going to step into it. I, I, I believe, but oh Lord, help my unbelief. That's what the disciples said. Help my unbelief. Come on, let's step into our miracle today. I've seen the Red Sea open. I've seen God do the miraculous. But now I'm going to step into the Jordan River. I'm going to step into my promise. That's it. Just come out from where you're standing. Move down to this altar. If you can't get down to the altar, maybe you can just get in the aisle. The first thing I feel led to pray for is if you need a healing in your body or you know of somebody, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, but somebody that needs a touch from God. I want us to begin to pray right now for us a physical healing in our bodies. I wonder right now, would you raise your hands and would you lift up your voices all over this place? Would you begin to declare the promises of God? By your stripes we are healed. That's it. Use your mouth. Speak the promises of God. By your stripes we are healed. Come on, two or three can agree together as touching any one thing. They can ask in my name and it shall be done. Come on, I speak healing right now in the name of Jesus. I know what the report says. I know what the doctors have proclaimed. But I also speak forth the promises of God's word. Anything is possible. I said anything is possible. Come on, declare your victory right now. I speak healing in my life. I speak healing in my friend's life. I speak deliverance right now in the name of Jesus. Cancer, you don't have the final say. My God has the final say. Come on, would you speak healing right now in the name of Jesus? Oh, yes, Lord. I believe it in the name of Jesus. I shall be made whole. I shall be made whole. Oh, what a great God you are, Lord. What a great God you are, Lord. Yes, in the name of Jesus.
I feel like God has touched. And I believe we're going to see the fruition of those prayers. But another prayer that I want us to pray today is if you're going through a financial crisis or maybe you have some friends or relatives or somebody that you know, maybe they've lost a job, maybe they're just up against a difficult place. I believe we have to speak the promises of God and make a path, make a way for the blessings of God to be poured out in our life. I think we prepare for that by living by biblical principles. But I do believe that God's desire is to bless every single one of His children to the point where we're able to be productive in the kingdom of God. We're able to live a life that brings glory and honor to Him. And I know there's a lot of financial pressure and stress in this world that we live. But I truly believe that this is a prayer that God will honor. I wonder right now if we could pray to that end. Maybe it's in your own life. or Maybe it's in the life of someone close to you. But I wonder right now if you would just pray a financial blessing and a miracle that would happen. Maybe it's in your own family. Maybe it's in your own life. But I believe right now that God could open up the windows of heaven. It's not God's will for you to live under the pressure of financial strain. I know sometimes we make our own mess in this, but I know that God, hallelujah, can do a great work from places you would not expect God can send a miracle this week. I wonder right now, would you begin to thank God for it? I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know where it's coming from. I just know, God, I'm going to begin to thank you. Hallelujah. I'm going to begin to thank you, Lord, that you're a blesser. That every good gift coming down from the Father of lights. Come on, begin to declare that miracle right now. He's my Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider. He's going to make a way. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, Lord, we believe. We believe. We see the reports. We've got the facts and figures in front of us. But oh, hallelujah. I put it all before you. I know it looks like an impossible situation. But you can multiply what I put into your hands. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, I declare it, Lord. I prepare for it right now. I speak it in the name of Jesus. Last but not least, I want us to pray for salvation, which is ultimately the most important. The greatest miracle of all is not the healing of lame, lame legs or withered hands. The greatest miracle of all is the salvation of our soul. If you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus or filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, you can initiate today. You don't have to leave here without following the plan of salvation, the book of Acts. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. And you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. How many of you are glad that God is still saving to the uttermost? Oh, yes, He is. But I want us to pray for salvation right now. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's a son or a daughter, a spouse. Maybe it's for yourself. But I wonder right now through these five steps that we've just talked about that are principles of faith, I wonder if we could begin to exercise those things, information, evaluation, preparation, declaration. I declare that my family will be saved in the name of Jesus. I wonder right now, would you initiate that with your prayers? Would you lift up your voice? Would you declare the promises of God? Oh, I speak salvation right now in the name of Jesus. Salvation will come to my house. I declare it in the name of Jesus. I speak hallelujah. I know it looks like an impossible situation. I know the devil has a megaphone. And he keeps bringing it up in my face. But oh, today I'm going to speak forth the promises of God's word. 
My daughter will be saved. My son will be saved. Come on, my husband will be saved. My wife, speak it in the name of Jesus. I speak a blessing over my children. I believe that that co-worker, hallelujah, is going to come to the knowledge of God's word. In the name of Jesus. Come on, I want you to take authority over in your own life. I want you to begin to declare, I'm going to be saved. I shall be saved. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Come on, I'm not going to die on this hill. I'm going to get back up again. And I'm going to declare the goodness of God. For above all else, I must be saved. Woo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I shall be saved. I shall be saved. In the name of Jesus. I want us to close this morning by praying one with another. I wonder, man with man, woman with woman, could we join up with somebody? I'm so thankful for the body of Christ. I want us to begin to pray one with another right now. I want us to begin to agree together. The Bible said, if two shall agree together, they shall ask any one thing in my name and it shall be done. Come on, there's power in unity. That's it. Pray with your brother. Pray with your sister right now. In the name of Jesus. I speak forth the promises of God over my brother and my sister. No weapon formed against them shall prosper. Oh, that's beautiful. Pray in the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus, nothing can pluck me out of the hand of God. Hide me in the cleft of the rock. Yes, in the name of Jesus. Come on, I declare revival this week. Come on, send us a spiritual earthquake, oh God. Break up the battleground, oh God. I pray a double portion upon this East Wind family. I pray that through this conference, there would be a shaking. There would be a spiritual breakthrough. In the name of Jesus. Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus hallelujah power of the Holy Ghost. Woo! Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. You feel the Holy Ghost? God's confirmed it. As we leave this morning, I want to remind you of three things, yay, four. Don't forget to pick up your badges at the information desk. I think they're set up in the second foyer for that. Do that now so Wednesday night you won't have to stand in line. Have those available for you. And then uh, don't forget service tonight, special service tonight at 6.30. And then tomorrow, fasting during the day and Monday night prayer, 7 to 8. One hour, intense, focused prayer. Let's lay the groundwork. Let's have revival. Let this conference be something that will give us a spiritual shaking. Are you ready for it? Let's do it in Jesus' name. God bless you. We love you. The Lord loves you. Hug your brother and sister. We'll see you tonight at 630.